1: We'll be hosting the Houston Dynamo in the final of the 108th edition of the U.S. Open Cup. I don't want to get too far into the weeds of how soccer works, but Open Cups are usually competitions held nationally to try to figure out the team that is best among them all. Instead of dealing with a league where every week there's a game and everyone plays everyone else, it's one-offs. Win or go home. In Inter-Miami, in this competition has done a lot of winning. Even while the team has struggled in its Major League Soccer schedule, the club was able to reach the semifinals without the help of recent arrival, an Argentinian, Uber star, Leo Messi. The team had Messi for the semifinals of the competition, but still needed to go to penalty kicks to defeat FC Cincinnati on the road. It wasn't Messi, but instead, Key Biscayne product Benha Kramaski, who scored the deciding penalty kick.
2: Benjamin Kramaski is his name that will be in the headlines in the Miami Herald of Murray. That's for sure.
1: The voice you heard there on the CBS broadcast was that of Ray Hudson. Hudson is a bit of a soccer broadcasting legend here in the United States with a very distinctive voice. But his broadcast career is not the reason I include this clip in the intro for this episode, because he had a different career, and in fact, a very close connection to South Florida. He was the manager the last time a Miami club appeared in the Open Cup final. That club was the Miami Fusion, a team that predated Inter-Miami by nearly two decades. And today, we're going to talk with a very special guest to learn a little bit more about that club its place in Miami sports history, and what the Open Cup means to those who were on the Fusion, and to what it might mean to the players on Inter Miami today. This day, in Miami history, September twenty seventh, twenty twenty three, when Inter Miami faces off in the hopes of winning its first Open Cup title in its team's history, and the first Open Cup in the history of South Florida.
0: The high times, the low times.
1: So good good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever you're listening, happy to have you. I have a very special guest on this evening. Um, a guest who is doing some work that really could not be more up my alley. And I'm just discovering it uh, uh, way too late in the game, but I'm very excited to be discovering it nonetheless and kind of perfect time to do so. His name is Joe Shaw. Joe, how are you doing this evening?
2: Yeah, I'm doing great, and it's always a good day uh, to talk about soccer in Miami, that's for sure.
1: Yes, sir. So Your show is entitled 25 for 25, the story of the Miami fusion from those who lived it. Um, And it is such an ambitious project uh, for such an important uh, part of Miami soccer history that while all the energy that's currently around soccer in South Florida, which is wonderful, um, exists, there is this other chapter that goes untold. And there are so many players in today's world in soccer that are adjacent to that Miami fusion team of the late nineties and early two thousands. Uh, wh- what attracted you to this project in the first place, trying to cover this team's story?
2: Well, I'm glad you asked. It's my uh, favorite uh, topic to talk about. So first of all, thanks for having me on. I'm very excited to, to discuss this project. So uh, for me, I've been uh, storytelling in some form or fashion most of my life. So I have gotten a background in theater and then I've been doing uh storytelling through podcasting since 2016. But I've always wanted to tell sports stories, specifically soccer stories. And for me, there's no important stories to tell than those of Major League Soccer. A lot of people fell in love with the game by watching the Premier League, La Liga, Serie A. There's a lot of fantastic teams and history. But for me, my story dates back 25 years ago to 1998 when I was a ball kid for the Dallas Burn at the Cotton Bowl. And the first game that I watched was a eight to one thrashing the LA Galaxy gave to the Dallas Burn. But the one goal that Dallas got was an Olympico scored by Damian Alvarez. That's a deep cut for those that know. Uh, He scored an Olympico from the corner, and it was the side that I was working. And I watched that ball arc beautifully around the the defenders and the wall and the goalie and tuck into the far post. I was hooked. After that, it was love at first sight. And you never forget your first love. So for me, the stories of Major League Soccer, specifically the stories of the early days of Major League Soccer, are very important to me. And what drew me to the Miami Fusion specifically is the fact that here you had a team that won the Supporters' Shield, had the best record of Major League Soccer in the regular season, their final year of existence in 2001, and yet they still get folded. Like That right there is interesting enough for me to want to dig into why they were folded, why the league made the decision to fold the team, and how did those decisions inform the steps that Major League Soccer took when they brought Soccer back to Miami four years ago as well, so we're we're in a bit of a serendipitous moment. And then my personal connection, uh, Captain Jim Rooney of the Miami Fusion. I'm very close with his brother Al, so Al and I have known each other for several years now. Um, and I realized that 1998 was 25 years ago here in 2023. 25 years ago, the Miami Fusion first entered the league, and it's also the fourth year of Inter Miami, the fourth year of Miami Fusion. Uh, And it felt like there was a lot that the universe is bringing together. And so I pitched this idea to Al that I want to do 25 interviews across 25 episodes to honor the 25-year history of the Mind Fusion coming into MLS. Jim said, yes, we were off to the races. Did the first episode. And then when the first episode published, all of these players and coaches and staff came out and it's been a wild ride. To me, there's no better person or persons to tell the history than those that truly lived it. So instead of trying to, you know, have me tell the story through stats and figures and that's cool. That's been covered. A lot of people have done it and have done it really well. What's more important to me is to tell the oral history of the club. Jim's got incredible stories that a woman like Donna Cardoza, who worked in the front office, does not have. Donna's got stories that John Trask, who is a coach, does not have. But together they weave this tapestry. Of this beautiful history of this club that while they only lasted four years, there's some mysticism and magic surrounding it. And I think it's it's not lost on me that even though Dry Pink Stadium is a new stadium and it's not Lockhart Stadium, it is still on those hallowed grounds. And so a lot of that magic that people felt with the fusion seems to be coming back up here 25 years later in 2023.
1: So you decide to to jump into this with Jim. And I do want to let folks know who are listening. Um, and we will circle back to this again um, before we wrap up. But there's no better time to uh, promote something than the present. Uh, that you have a live podcast recording uh, on the books for Friday, October 6th at Mickey Burns Irish Button Restaurant uh, up there in Hollywood. Nice middle ground between like Drive Pink and Dade. Um, you and Jim will be hosting that. And we'll be sure to share the link for that in um the show notes so people can check that out and, and, and push that on social and hopefully i'm able to make it sounds like a hell of a time um so you, you kind of mentioned this club when people think about the fusion if they think about the fusion and thankfully what you're doing uh you'll get a chance for people to think about a little bit more you just kind of think oh yeah that was that team that like started in miami moved up to broward never really took and then went away but you allude to the fact that there is a there's actually a a, a different hook to this which is they got good they were a good team um, and that still wasn't enough to save them. Um what is the reaction again, without giving away too much of your own show? How do the folks involved feel about that? do Do they have this kind of sense of what ifs about what the club might have been had they been able to stick together?
2: A hundred percent. Everybody that I've spoken with, even folks who, passed through the fusion before the 2001 season. So there's guys like Garth Lagerway, who's the current president of Atlanta United, who is a goalie for the fusion in 99 uh, specifically, primarily he was in there a little bit beyond 99, but 99 being the most. And he still felt that the fusion had so much more left in the tank that they could have dominated the league in 2002. And it is, you know, there's a little bit of nostalgia. I think we all like to wist uh, fondly for what could have been and like to play out these scenarios. But the thing you have to remember is that there was momentum. There was strong momentum from this team. There was veteran leadership at every single position. And there was a huge mixture of youth. Guys like Pablo Maserani, Nick Ramondo, Kyle Beckerman were on this team. And so you had a perfect blend of talent that really would have dominated the league. I think what we've discovered through the podcast is the fact that it was, it was a bit of A series of unfortunate events, so to speak. So Miami had a lot, the fusion had a lot of momentum when they started and they weren't good. Then they got good and they were winning back fans, but they hadn't won back all of the fans yet, but they were on their way. They also had uh, a situation within the league where the league recognized that they needed to stop the bleeding, so to speak, of a lot of the money expenditures. And they were figuring out what do we need to do to sort of cut losses short term so we can build and grow to the league we have today and unfortunately the decision was made to fold a couple of teams miami got caught up as the secondary team because tampa bay was already going to be folded as a league-owned team and it was a matter of could we find a buyer for miami we cannot buy a find a buyer for miami and the owner ken horowitz um uh, was was not going to be able to uh, sort of go to the next level that the other owners wanted to go to. It was a time of a lot of things converging. Soccer United Marketing was starting. And so it really was just a bit of an unfortunate series of events that led to the Fusion getting folded. But if that doesn't happen, and we did a little bit of a bonus episode of like, what if there was a 2002 season and play that out? Um, I think you would have seen Miami dominate the two thousands in a similar way to how you saw teams like the San Jose earthquakes and a little bit of the Houston dynamo. And then the LA galaxy in spots dominate as well.
1: Yeah. It's really funny. When you look at the, the best 11 from the 2001 season um, you've got two Miami forwards, one Miami midfielder, two Miami defenders, half the team is Miami. Um, you know, half the outfield players are, are Miami players. And as you said, when you go to the, the average attendance, um, Miami wasn't last, um, and it wasn't second to last and, and something in terms of, again, it, that I'm curious about in your poking around on this topic, Tampa Bay was the team and, and you just phrased it a second ago. They were the team that was getting dropped. The the league had taken over ownership. Things were kind of messy there. If say, for example, uh, uh, San Jose was the team that had been taken over by the league and Tampa Bay was a bit stronger. Do you think that Miami makes it through? Do you think it was a matter of geography um, as well as the challenges that Ken Horowitz was facing as owner?
2: So there was a couple of things that we've discovered and it, it appears to be that the league was, it seems that the league was pretty set on folding two teams together whether that was, so Tampa Bay was always pretty much there. Further discussions were San Jose, Dallas, and of course, eventually Miami. What saved Dallas is the fact that the Hunts swooped in and bought their hometown club. Yeah, That's literally the only reason that, that Dallas is still here today, right? I mean, there's more to it, but in simple terms, that's it. San Jose, I'm not really sure what the full story there is, although a lot of the players and coaches from Miami- have said that speaking to San Jose players and coaches years later, they had an inkling that they were going to get folded. And in fact, that playoff series where San Jose knocks Miami out, a lot of folks felt that it was a loser leaves town, so to speak of a playoff series. Um, Now, whether now, whether, however much of that is true or not, who's to say, but I do think that Miami sticks around. If Miami can find an owner, I still think Miami gets folded. If they're unable to find another owner because the league was changing with what they were requiring the owners to do. And Ken had said, this is too much for me. I need to get out And the league. No one wanted to buy Miami for one reason or another, but I do think there's an alternate earth out there where the hunts uh, fancy themselves a Florida club and, and buy the fusion and, and make a go of it. That would be pretty interesting. Yeah.
3: Save big on brunch for mom all in the Kroger app.
1: You know, in in doing some um, reporting about the Miami situation, uh, the inter-Miami situation, the stadium situation, um, and seeing as though it seems as though the, the inter-Miami stadium situation is is advancing, um, you know, shovels are in the ground at Reese finally after about four years of waiting. Seems like it's actually happening. Seeing Joe Corollo being a central figure, and, and Joe comes up on this podcast a lot for a variety of different reasons. Uh, but seeing Joe Garoya be at the center of that debate when his fallout with Ken Horowitz was a big reason why the fusion wound up leaving and settling up at Lockhart is just, it's very funny to, to again, the, what ifs are, what if Ken and the city are able to work out a negotiation to fix up the stadium right. uh, and they keep the fusion there. Maybe they keep the hurricanes there. College football stays at the orange bowl. There are all these other things that when the fusion go and there's not that second impetus for uh, a Miami stadium at that location, things go interesting. It it is a very fun for a variety of reasons, not just for soccer. The what ifs of the fusion succeeding in Dade, and then the what ifs of the fusion succeeding at all. Um. So the the peg to to the reason why I wanted to talk to you uh, so originally, and, and again for for the listeners uh, to give you a little context. Uh, shamefully, I was not aware this podcast existed until about five o'clock tonight, <laughs> which is the uh, September twenty sixth. Um, I'm an enormous soccer. I'm actually wearing my Miami fusion Jersey right now. I love soccer in South Florida. Um, I do work on a podcast called magic city soccer as well. Um, So like how I miss this, I don't know. Um, But the reason why I wanted to talk to Joe so urgently is there is potentially a bit of local soccer history. Well, there is local soccer history tonight as South Florida will be hosting its first major domestic cup final um, in its history. Um, the fusion were the first team from South Florida to make, um, the U S open cup final, um, in 2000, um, the Miami turos did reach the NASL, uh, final in 74. Um, but that was played in Los Angeles and this open cup final in 2000 was against the Chicago fire. And Joe, correct me if I'm wrong. That was in Chicago. Yes, it was. Yes. Thank you. So I, I thought I had that right. Um, so yeah, this is the, this is the first time that a major domestic cup is going to be contested in South Florida. I want to talk a little bit about the fusions run though, because this was a, a signal that the fusion were making progress in advancing and and the open cup, for those of you that don't follow soccer, you have your normal league competition. Normally you have a cup competition. Soccer typically doesn't have a playoffs. It has a regular season winner, and then kind of a knockout competition winner, Uh, In the U.S., there are playoffs in the MLS, but getting away from that point, this this knockout competition is more than 100 years old. It's the oldest soccer competition uh, in the country. It was until COVID, the longest continuously contested cup competition in the world, even beating England because of World War II, things like that. Um, So it's a big deal. Um, I'm an enormous U.S. Open Cup nerd. Um, So the Fusion make this run in the cup and what does that mean to the club to be able to to get some wins in this competition and actually get all the way to the final
2: so there's a couple of things i want to key in on and i do want to acknowledge right that it's it's so it's so interesting how history repeats itself right so here we are talking about a us open cup final featuring a miami mls team 23 years later from when the last team did it uh, got to the finals and yes, inter Miami won the league's cup, which hats off to them. Um, that's incredible. And we're hoping that they can get the double and get the open cup as well. Um, when Ray Hudson took over in the 2000 season from Evo Wortman after Evo Wortman was let go, um, Ray had never coached before. Yes. He was a former player with the Fort Lauderdale strikers, incredible player. He was a commentator. The most coaching experience he had was a, I think it was a youth girls team. If I'm not mistaken, um, that was it, right? Um, However, Ray knew the game inside and out. And what's interesting, and we get into it in the episode featuring Tyrone Marshall, Ray was watching the team week in and week out, studying them, understanding them as part of calling the games, but also understanding what he liked and what he didn't like. And he didn't like a lot of what Evo was doing from the team. And he knew he wanted to put his own stamp and his own style on the team, but he didn't quite have all of the players that he wanted in order to do that. Some of Ray's um, criteria that I've heard from others is he had to have players with good feet. So if you look at the 2001 season, you've got Alex Pineda, you've got like Precky, the Precky, right? You've got Precky, you've got Ian Bishop, you've got Chris Henderson, you've got um, Ivan McKinley, you've got Tyrone Marshall already on there, but all of, and of course, Jim Rooney, right? Can't leave out a uh, good old gem. Um, but all of these players were had good feet. And even Ramondo in goal, right? What is he most known for being able to play with his feet, having incredible feet? And so you could see sort of the building blocks for what Ray was wanting to do. The problem was from the league campaign, there was a bit too much of a hole that had already been dug for Miami to be able to get out of it and make the playoffs. The, the year 2000 was the only year in which the Fusion did not make the playoffs in their four years of existence. However, Ray utilized the Open Cup to really, really put forth the team and the style of play that he wanted to put into place. And you saw, you saw them take off. They got all the way to the finals. And I do want to take a moment and call out the fact that they almost didn't make it to the finals. Uh, they barely beat a PDL, a semi-pro team called the mid Michigan bucks in Saginaw, Michigan on penalty kicks, um, And if they had lost that, we wouldn't be talking about this right now. However, that game was so incredible, and so many people brought up that game that I actually did a bonus episode with Joe Malachino, who was the player coach of the mid Michigan Bucks, And he talks about that game from his perspective. Um, And he's currently coaching uh, Eastern Michigan. uh, I think it's Eastern Michigan central university. Uh, He's a soccer coach there. Um, So if you want even more open cup stories, you can go check out that bonus episode on 25 for 25, but yes, the fusion ran through the open cup and really made their mark on. This is the style we're going to play fast, exciting. We're going to hold the ball. We're going to play with good feet and we're going to do something that hasn't been seen before. We're going to play fun, fast, attractive soccer, and we're going to win while we're doing it. Um, and then of course they ended up uh, barely losing out uh, to the Chicago fire in Chicago, but yeah, what a, what a run.
1: Yeah. That's an interesting game that final, because you you wind up having Chicago has, you know, it's in his older years, but one of the great players of all time uh, in Hristo Stoikov Um, winds up scoring the first goal and then an own goal is given up late in the game. So it's kind of done. Miami gets that, that consolation goal back at the end. Uh, But I I don't think anyone saw it as a missed opportunity rather than, you know, it's something to one to one to grow on um, looking ahead. And, And I think that's honestly, like you said, drawing parallels from the past to the current, period of time i think a lot of people are looking at this club today and saying you know this team was in dead last i'm talking about inter miami now this team was in dead last <laughs> dead yeah. dead last they were dead in the water um and with the arrival of leo messi which you know the the club I think had a sense that that was a possibility. I don't think it dropped out of the sky on him. You know, there was no player at the number 10 uh, on the roster (laughs) this year. That's kind of unusual for a team. So, you know, for folks who say that, you know, playing dumb, they had no idea. No, I think they had some idea, but even then they had dug such a hole that you figured that, okay, he's going to get his feet under them, see what happens. And they've really gone on this spectacular run, trying to figure out who they are. And you're seeing that with the arrival of Leo Messi, Jordi Alba, Sergio Busquets, that the players around them are raising their level too. I mean, Robert Taylor is all of a sudden, uh, you know, a, a world's best striker, um, right. just amazing finishes. There's something to be said about getting your feet under you and figuring out how to win. You got to figure out how to win. And ultimately, like you said, I think Ray, he he wasn't, uh, uh, you know, the, the most highly regarded coach, but guy knows how to win. He was always a winner down here with Fort Lauderdale, huge personality, a, le- a true leader of men, um, and, and just kind of put the pieces together and, and did well enough that he, from that springboard, it wasn't spring off the board and fall on your face. They really did build and grow, um, leading into some success and then the heartbreak, right. And then the heartbreak comes, um, talking to the folks after the open cup run, after the the collapse of the club, um, what are the the themes that you keep coming back to? Uh, from people with their experience with the fusion? What are the kind of the things they they take away from their time there before they go on to their next clubs or their next responsibilities? What are the things that jumped out to you the most as kind of the, the common themes that people are picking up on?
2: So I think from pretty much everyone, at least everyone that was there in the final season, there's this, content. everybody talks about the way it felt like a family and the fact that the fusion felt more like a family than any other club that anyone ever worked with. Um, or played for. Um, I got. It, I had a conversation with uh, Inter Miami sporting director Chris Henderson. Speaking of Inter Miami, and he talked about his time in 2001. And I asked him. I said, "What did it mean to you to come to Inter Miami? To come to Miami again after being in Miami in 2001?" And he said, "It felt like coming home. It felt like I everything came full circle. I had to do this. I, I, I. So much of my time, uh, this deep connection." that he had with the city, he needed to come back and, and sort of give back to the city and this new team in a way in which it had given to him when he was playing in 2001. And so, and on and on, and there's so many other stories of people um, uh, talking about how, they really felt that they were a close-knit family. They would go to this place called the Tudor Inn that was right by Lockhart Stadium and they would you know have drinks, fans, coaches, players, staff, everyone all together because they said that's the club culture they had. The club culture was we're your club. We are Miami's Club, we are Fort Lauderdale's Club, we are the People's Club and we are here um, to be a, a giant family and look after each other and take care of each other. Um, and so a little bit, you alluded to the live event a moment uh, a, little, a little while ago, that's a little bit of what we're trying to replicate at Mickey Byron's Irish Club in Hollywood, Florida on Friday, October 6th from 8 to 9.30 p.m. Eastern time is uh, have that sort of um, family moment again uh, to give folks closure. Do Yes, we're going to do a live show. We're going to tell some stories as well. Jim and I are hosting it. And then after it ends, people can just hang out and talk until until they kick us out. Um, mm-hmm. The other theme that people come back to. Is a lack of closure. Because of the way that the league ended the teams so abruptly, and it was very quick, you're let go, get your stuff and head out for the players, you're going to a dispersal draft right away. It's a conference call. Jim, you're going to New England. So, you know, Alex, you're going over here to LA, like on and on and on different players going to different places. That's it. There's no opportunity to say goodbye. There's no opportunity to celebrate the the supporter shield. There's no opportunity to even say anything because it's gone. It's there one moment, gone the next. And there's a, there's a bit of a bitterness that folks, as much as they feel this twinkling in their eyes and this wonderful feeling of family, it is a bit of a bitterness of, I never got to say goodbye. And so we're also trying to provide that to folks as well at the live event is the ability to come and say goodbye and have the closure and really appreciate that this was a magical moment. And we're making new magical moments as well, but we want to preserve what happened before so we can appreciate what's happening in real time. I think that's lovely. And and, and Joe, you're a real pro by getting the plug in
1: there before I even set you up for it. But I do want to let folks know, um, please do check the show description here. One for the tickets to uh that live event
2: um and i believe it's just general admission you just uh, you're encouraged to reserve a spot right Yep, that is correct. So there's no charge for the tickets. Uh, we do ask that people go via the Eventbrite link because it helps us out knowing how many people to expect and we can set up accordingly. I do want to let folks know that um, uh, Mickey we were working on a pint special. So there's supposed to be uh, custom engraved pints that you can purchase. Um, I'm not sure which, uh, which uh, company is going to be sponsoring that yet. Um, But shout out to Mark Rowe, who owns Mickey Byrnes. He's been a phenomenal partner in this. And so I would say they are an American Outlaws official pub, and they host several Inter-Miami watch parties for away games. And if you can't get into Tri-Pink Stadium, you can go there. Uh, They have a special where if you have an open tab and are wearing Inter-Miami gear, I think it's the first goal that Lionel Messi scores. uh, It's uh, the rounds on the house. So Definitely is another reason to go uh, check them out and support your local, your local pub. But yeah, they, uh, Mark's been fantastic. Mickey Myers has been fantastic. It's going to be an incredible moment. And I do have to do one more plug as well. Um, 25 for 25 has been honored uh, in the uh, football content awards, which is a British uh, football uh, or soccer uh, content awards, dubbed the Oscars to the football content industry. Uh, so this award ceremonies in Liverpool, England in November I'll be there. Uh, 25 or 25 has been listed as best international podcast. So uh, if you go to their Instagram and just comment at Miami fusion pod, uh, that gives us a vote. And then there's also a website link that you can vote. It's one vote per person per platform. So it really takes you like five minutes and or less, and then you do two votes and, and, It'll help us continue to get the stories of the Miami fusion out there because once we get over to the Brits and they hear about this club and it's not Lionel Messi's club, there's going to be all kinds of wonderful questions and we want, we want uh, we want to show up in full support. That's perfect. You took the words out of my. You were one step ahead of me. I'm I'm I got
1: my plugs queued up for you because I, I do want you uh to, to wind up. That's a, that's a really prestigious award in the world of, of football content. And and the, again, seeing a Miami, uh, kind of adjacent podcast up for it I'm like oh wow interesting normally that's the the liverpools and the man cities and the barcelona right. clubs to see a miami fusion podcast I'm like well hell yes let's go yes. um so yeah that's wonderful so again please do check all that out in the show notes um either on our website or on your preferred podcast provider just scroll underneath and you'll see all that stuff there uh and again the podcast uh, go ahead and follow that right now just pause where we are um 25 for 25 the story of the miami fusion from those who lived it Um, There's a lot of good stuff on there already, Um, and I have so many episodes to start listening to. I'm so excited. Joe Shaw, thank you so much for your time and your work in helping to preserve this important part of Miami sports history that doesn't always get the attention it deserves.
2: Of course, I appreciate being on here because, as I said, Major League Soccer is the league I fell in love with, and for me, I feel it's my duty to preserve these stories so we can continue to appreciate them uh, while we're also watching history being made right in front of us.
1: Awesome. Joe Shaw, thank you so much, and best of luck with the awards and everything else. Thank you. Again, I want to thank Joe Shaw and remind you that the show is entitled 25 for 25, the story of the Miami Fusion from those who lived it. Uh, There are currently 20 chapters out, including some bonus episodes, and that live event at Mickey Burns should be pretty darn spectacular if you're interested in South Florida sports, in soccer, in just the history of our community. Um, I would encourage you to make it out there. I'm going to do my best to make it out there as well. Um, uh, Joe is a real repository of information about this club, and and it really shows through in the podcast. Um, And it's a great resource. Um, I do encourage you to check it out. Again, you can find those links in our show description. I will be sharing it on social media. Remember, you can follow us on social media at This Day Miami Pod at pretty much every major social media platform. Uh, and you can find This Day in Miami History, if this is the first time you're listening, on any of your preferred podcast providers. That includes um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, um, Amazon, uh, Spotify, um, and now Pandora, I believe, has replaced Stitcher. So uh, wherever you can get it, uh, it is there for you. And uh, if you already subscribed to the show, again, a nice five-star review always helps the show out tremendously. Um, so until next time, we will be rejoining you in the month of October. And until then, I've been Matthew Bunch.